Hi, everybody. Uh, I am George Akolade Adetokumba Koker, and uh, you are listening to this first recording of a podcast with me and my good friend, Daniel Bernstein. Daniel, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, I am Daniel Bernstein, and uh, I'm, I'm also here. <laughs> I like it. We're very professional. <laughs> Super ready for this. We did not just do this 15 seconds ago. Um, I've never done this. Basically, guys, I realized that I people have been asking me to start a podcast to talk about, you know, things that I am experiencing. I think people often tell me that I've got poignant thoughts on uh, different experiences, but I generally have these thoughts in relationship to somebody else's experience. I don't often have a profound speech that I feel the need to give somebody, though I'm realizing there are a couple of stories that I often will tell people about myself when they ask me certain questions. Um, so maybe I'll do those at a later time, but today Daniel and I will probably be talking about heartbreak. I don't know, uh, how much experience Daniel has had with heartbreak. Uh, but None. I really my heart, my nice. heart is, 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 is iron, ice cold, <laughs> impenetrable adamantium. I love it. Okay, cool. So it's a guy with too many feels and guy with no feels apparently is what we're going with. That's our, that's our theme for the day. <laughs> um, geez, I'm going to have to figure out how to cut these ums out. <laughs> No, you sound you sound good to me. Solid. I, I feel like I'm listening to a podcast and, and then I'm talking to it and I'm like, oh no, I'm I'm also on the podcast. That's Oops. great. Uh, <laughs> all right, so diving directly into this, I um made a decision a couple weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago, um, with a friend named Jody to uh go on a trip to take photos and uh, write poetry together and to create a bunch of art together. When she got here, um, we sort of got into it, but we also sort of got caught up in our feelings. And we knew that there were strong feelings for each other from the get-go. But what really is uh, stunning to me is how quickly... uh, the experience shifted from being one of, you know, supporting each other in creative pursuits to the nature of, of egos um, and the wounds that they carry. It was really fascinating to see how from a distance, the two of us had a very um, easy time talking about our feelings and our pain and being super supportive of the other and just enamored with the human experience. But when we were in the same space as each other, it was actually maybe harder to connect. Not because it was like, oh, this fantasy has been shattered and it's no longer real, but because both of us are very sensitive people. And I think we kept running into this problem of feeling something that the other person wasn't saying. And where normally we would have tons of space and time, literally, because we were three hours apart in time distance and 3,000 miles apart in literal, you know, physical distance. Um, And we had to trust that the other person's intentions were good and pure when they came back to to relate to us. Uh, When we were in the same space, 
it almost felt as if we we mutually lost the ability to trust the experience that the other person was having of what we were giving them. Uh, so Daniel, yeah. What do you, what do you think about that? Um, yeah, no, that's really insightful. Uh, yeah. It makes me think like, um, yeah, how important communication is. And um, I, I've been watching this media literacy uh thing on on crash course and um they talk about um how we are we're constant we're when we communicate we're encoding language and we're decoding language and the way we encode our language might you know often doesn't um doesn't match what the other person might be decoding and vice versa and so um that's why I think it's it's always helpful to, um, you know, yeah, just discuss things and and then, you know, um, when you hear someone, you know, kind of repeat, repeat back to the other person. Oh, is this is this what you meant and stuff like that? And I don't know. Yeah, I guess I I always used to. Trust, like, lean on my experience a lot, and trust, you know, what what trust what I'm feeling, and trust my gut with things. And I think, especially in romantic relationships, it feels like there's like an like an ultra incentive to to lean on that sense of oh, like I feel so connected. It's like we don't even need to say anything. Um, but I guess I I feel like that's kind of why that that's that's like where it's even more dangerous because that um i had this moment where you said that's why and it almost felt like you were gonna say that's why shit blew up in your face and you were like i don't want to say that so (laughs) i'm gonna recode this i'm gonna encode differently there we go no Um, my my mind never went there but no i don't know yeah i just yeah i guess i hadn't really thought of it that way until now but I feel like that's been the downfall of a lot of my relationships is, is think, thinking I can read the other person's mind, thinking that they're reading my mind, thinking that we're on the same page. Cause it feels that way. Like the intimacy and the, you know, the emotions are like it's intoxicatingly, you know, desirable to 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 feel like i i know this person i can feel it i know this person through and through uh and then you you get into a really dangerous territory when you start saying things like oh i know this person better than they know themselves oh god that's yeah that's very bad it's you know what's fascinating (laughs) about what you just said i i ran into this thing where with jody i knew that i was I, so there are two directions I want to go in, but I guess I'll say this first. I ran into the situation where I knew that I was having to trust what she was saying, and I was having to trust her expression of herself mm-hmm. to, to clearly come through. And I recognize that she is somebody who feels things very deeply, and I am somebody who feels things very deeply. Mm-hmm. But... I recognize also that I am somebody who is very animated as I feel things deeply. 
And she is somebody who withdraws into herself when she feels things deeply. And so one of the things that I was noticing was that when we were interacting, it would often feel as though she was withdrawing from me. And I was like, oh, I shouldn't take this personally, but I want to know when she's going to express and come to me with more, um, you know, like animation. Cause that was my expectation. I was like, I bring you animated energy because it makes me joyful to do so. And my interpretation of human interaction is that when people are happy, they bring each other this like animated um, interaction, at least some version of that as compared to what they normally have. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and this assumption is sort of, it comes from my, uh, honestly developmental trauma around other people expecting me to be happy and then when I'm being withdrawn and maybe not being super expressive them taking it as if I'm upset with them and I've learned that I don't feel upset with a person when I'm not being super animated but I've learned to 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 sort of adjust to who is triggered by this um, by giving them more animation and I don't think about this as sort of uh, a code switch or as a um, people-pleasing behavior, but to some Mm. extent it is if I'm doing it primarily because I know this person will be upset when I'm not giving them happiness, joy, bubbly energy. Right. And this brings me to sort of this understanding of what's happening in a conversation that you led me to remember from a book uh, by this guy. He started the Black Swan Company. I can't remember what his name is, but he... He's like this master negotiator, worked for the FBI. And he was saying that whenever you're having a conversation, there are four people, if there are two people in your conversation. Mm. There's the you that is speaking and the you that is thinking of what to say. There Mm. is the them that is speaking and the them that is thinking of what to say. And if you can at least turn off the you that is speaking and the you that is thinking of what to say, you can make it so that there are truly two people in the conversation, right? Mm. What is being said by the other person and what they are trying to say, what they're hoping to express. And each time you check in so that they can clarify, you are making it clearer that you are one, listening, but two, capable, you're making it more uh, possible that you are capable of understanding what they're actually trying to say. And it it really strikes me as you say all those other things that one of the things that happened, I think while I was, you know, engaging with Jody, who I'm probably going to ask to make one of these with me, um, maybe next episode or very soon is that I was failing, um, to, it wasn't that I was failing to, to check in with her, but I was failing to recognize that at a distance when, you know, what you say is all the person gets. She had to say something and she could take as much time as she needed to say it when she wanted to say it. She could give me exactly what she wanted me to know. But (laughs) what you're saying, and I intuit what you mean and I feel you from afar. I feel it, you know what I mean? Like that beautiful intimate space of like understanding the other person and feeling like you understand the other person and feeling like you're on the same page. I made the assumption that, you know, I was 
um, that I was doing something wrong when she wasn't speaking to me or that I was doing something wrong when she didn't have anything to say. And I'm realizing, you know, and I realized this with her, but I'm realizing even more so now that one of the, the biggest problems that I was running into was this assumption that uh, just because the way that we were forced to give each other space from so far away worked out well for us to be understanding of each other didn't mean that in the current space that we were in and the current way that we were interacting, I was going to be able to give her the space that she needed to be able to come to me with her responses when she wanted to give them. And I wasn't going to necessarily be able to give her the grace in uh, her responses that she was afforded when she was far away, right? Um, interpreting a text more um, positively, interpreting a, uh, you know, a response on FaceTime more positively. You know what I mean? Like it, mm -hmm. just interpreting things like I'm realizing I have a negativity bias, right? Like all humans do. And my understanding is that I, I am wrong and I am, uh, I never want the other person to feel wrong. So I will just assume that I am wrong when interacting with them. But me trying to solve the problem of feeling wrong myself often leads the person to feel like I'm trying to fix their communication, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, in person, that is a much more intense experience than, you know, oh, this person is checking in with me over the phone to make sure that they aren't saying the wrong thing or being a dick. In person, it doesn't come off that way. In person, it comes off as, mm, you know, you would be a much better communicator if you said something this way or for the sake of me understanding you better you know it would be better if you didn't communicate in the way that you are communicating is kind of how things sound and it's it was interesting to you know uh recognize that that reality uh occurring yeah no it's interesting yeah what you say about like having a negativity bias it it makes me think uh and the way I'm going to describe this, this is going to be my cold adamantium heart coming through and <laughs> <laughs> and discussing it. And so it's like, uh, I, I feel like um, at the beginning of a, of a relationship, when you meet someone new and, and, and uh, you know, there's that initial excitement, there's that kind of pink cloud sense of it. It's like you have this massive, <laughs> I can't, I can't think of a term other than consumer surplus <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but just in the in the sense of like um you, you know what a consumer surplus is uh no explain it for me and for anybody listening. so for example when lyft and uber disrupted you know the taxi industry there was this huge consumer surplus because people were able to get cheaper rides faster than they expected they were used to dealing with cabs that were expensive mm -hmm. and you know sometimes they would never show up and then all of a sudden it, you had a much better more efficient system people were paying less the drivers were happier um so that's what you call a consumer surplus it's the difference between what what a customer expects and and what they get when the when what they get is actually better than what they expected mm -hmm. and so i think in 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 different interactions we sort of have a, a sense of like the energy cost of an inner of an interaction and i think when you initially meet somebody and there's that romantic spark 
the energy cost of interacting with them is so much lower than most of your interactions. I would argue that an energy cost is sometimes non-existent. It is energizing. Right. Right. Yeah. No, you have like an energy surplus. You're like feeding off of each other. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, so you, you kind of, there's this sort of false sense of security that it's like this relationship is literally creating energy on its own. And it isn't until that pink cloud sort of wears off that you realize, oh shit, no, this, this takes work. <laughs> and yeah. like, it's almost like, like you, you, you get an, an initial credit boost, like, like, oh, here's some energy credit for this, <laughs> inter- for this relationship. And then it's like, and then the bill shows up a month or two later and you're like, oh, now we got to pay all that energy back. Like, damn. That is such a beautiful uh, metaphor. Daniel, you are so poetic, and that was absolutely wonderful. I was going to say. Explaining love in cold capitalist terms. We're out of, yeah, we're, I mean, like, it's so funny, but, like, I guess my Western mind was just like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Oh, that people are going to hear that and be like, yes, this is why my marriage fucking sucks. <laughs> But um, yeah, I think we should close it out because I don't know that I could really add anything to that. And I do want to keep these under 20 minutes, oh, shit. like ideally to 15. We're not at 20 minutes yet, man. We're only at 18. So mm. um, yeah, I'm definitely going to have you back to talk about more stuff. But I think that this, is, this was really great. And uh, I think the people are going to enjoy it. So thank you so much for helping out with this. Yeah, thank you, George. I, you know, to echo what, what you said at the beginning, I, yeah, I think you're incredibly insightful and I'm, I always love hearing your thoughts and I'm I'm really uh, I feel really privileged that you uh, asked asked me asked me on to do this with you for sure you will definitely be asked again uh, much love Danny <laughs> catch you later bye <laughs>